Are you a fan of the Harry Potter Therapy Podcast? Do you want more episodes, more magic, and more guests? Do you want our show to reach and inspire more of those in need? Well, we can really use your support. If you would like to help us in our mission to spread awareness and destigmatize mental health struggles, we ask that you please subscribe, rate, review, and share our podcast with friends, family, and folks you might think would enjoy and benefit from our content. Most importantly, please consider joining our Patreon community and becoming a contributor. As one of our Patreon contributors, you will get access to exclusive content, announcements, videos, and more. You will join a community of like-minded pop culture enthusiasts that celebrate our connections to our favorite movies, TV shows, icons, and superheroes. As a contributor, you will also be helping us support mental health charities as 15% of our proceeds are donated monthly. To join our Patreon community, go to www.patreon.com, make an account, search for Superhero Therapy, and select one of our tiers. Now, on with the show. Have you ever wished for magical powers? Do you still await your Hogwarts acceptance letter? Well, welcome to Hogwarts. You are magical. And this is your invitation to join us in exploring the psychology behind the most magical series, Harry Potter. Welcome to Harry Potter Therapy. Hello, all you magical people out there, and thank you so much for tuning in to Harry Potter Therapy. I'm your host, Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time witch. So today we are going to be covering The Prisoner of Azkaban, Chapter 17, Cat, Rat, and Dog. Meow. <laughs> Ow! Which is actually very appropriate because of this <laughs> chapter. <laughs> As we left off in the last chapter, Harry, Ron, and Hermione had just heard this swooshing thump. And they assumed that Buckbeak just was beheaded no. per the magical justice system here. There is no justice in the magical <laughs> system. <laughs> Not for Buckbeak. Well... Harry, Ron, and Hermione are just devastated at this moment for Hagrid. So devastated, they're almost willing to be caught by the Minister of Magic and Dumbledore. They're going to go back and try to help in any way they can. This is a very strong example of loyalty. What do you think is the nature of loyalty? And what are some of the positive and negative effects of being loyal? Well, I think it's not just loyalty. I think it's compassion. It's wanting to be there for their friend. They know how much Buckbeak has meant to Hagrid. And anyone who's ever had a pet, like a cat or a dog, for example, you might imagine that if somebody decided to behead your beloved cat or dog, you would probably be really, really suffering and, of course, would probably want your friends and loved ones nearby and I imagine for Harry, Ron and Hermione each of which has a beloved pet of their own they can understand how devastating it would be if they lost somebody that they love to Hagrid the creatures that he cares for are more than pets they're his family and so it's understandable that they would want to run back and comfort him and support him and so I think it's not just loyalty. I think it's I think it's compassion. I think it's dedication. I think it's friendship. I think it's what we feel toward members of our chosen family. It's it's that kind of love. And the pros of this kind of 
loyalty, as you put it, I think is that we tend to really support the people that we care about. A lot of times people think that family comes first, right? A lot of cultures kind of tell us blood is thicker than water. But as we see in the series, and I, and I think the reason why it speaks to so many people is that the people we're closest to don't have to be related to us through blood. They can be our chosen family. And that's true for these four, for Harry, Ron, Hermione, and Hagrid, right? They're very close. None of them are related to each other, and they all love each other as family. And so I think the positives of this kind of loyalty is that people would show up for each other in their darkest moments, would really support each other, even if it means risking their own well-being. And I guess some of the cons is that sometimes we might do something irrational without thinking about how it might impact not only us, but also the other person. And Hermione is the only one to point out that if they all rush over to help Hagrid, then Hagrid's going to be the one to be in trouble for having the three kids at his hut during a time of a lockdown. Yeah. I love friendships and I love loyalty. I just figured that sometimes you can get yourself in trouble being a little bit too loyal to something. Not only you getting yourself in trouble, but sometimes getting another person yeah. in trouble, right? So it's I think it's sometimes when we do things that might be a little bit irrational or things without thinking, right? Because ideally, we want to create a balance between emotion and rationality, mm-hmm. right? If we're only rational, that's not going to be a very good quality friendship, right? Because then we don't have that emotional connection to the other person. But if all we're doing is acting on emotion, we're going to possibly make some irrational or unhealthy or unsafe choices. And so Hermione's really the voice of reason here, as she usually is, <laughs> to point out to the boys that we can't run over there right now. And so the three of them are kind of stuck grieving over what they think is Buckbeak's death and also experiencing tremendous empathic distress over what they believe Hagrid might be going through. Yeah, most definitely. In this chapter, there is a very wild situation where a terrified Scabbers bites Ron and he gets loose. Crookshanks suddenly shows up and chases after Scabbers. (laughs) And then Ron chases after them both. And as soon as he snatches Scabbers up again, a large jet black dog appears. And this dog attacks Ron, latches onto his arm with his jaws and drags Ron away like a ragdoll. So now we have a terrified rat scabbers running away from a ferocious cat crookshanks being chased by a ferocious uh, ron (laughs) well i was gonna say dog a a big black dog that we've seen earlier in this book yeah to make matters worse hermione and harry are chasing after them and then they start being pummeled by branches of the whomping willow not the whomping willow (laughs) talk about chaos 
there are times in our lives where hardships build upon one another, kind of like this, where it's just one thing after the other, like in the cartoons or like in that movie Willow, where a small pebble of snow becomes this overwhelming boulder of doom. What does this situation say about being overwhelmed? And is there an effective way to deal with problems that seem to combine and build around us? What a great example. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up. It's true that a lot of times when we're most overwhelmed, things might seem to snowball. The best thing we can do is something that seems really counterintuitive. But the best thing that we can do at that point is to stop. The second that we stop, things can slow down a little bit. And that's when we can use our wise mind, right? We can really think about what are my options here to have the best chance of being safe myself and being able to help my friend. There's a moment where they're trying so much that they themselves are getting pummeled by the whomping willow tree. In that moment, if they're the ones getting hurt, they're not doing Ron any favors. They're not actually Mm. helping by being irrational. It's when they're able to slow down that Crookshanks, Hermione's cat, actually comes to their rescue and jumps on the whomping willow root, which stops the whomping willow from hurting them. So Crookshanks just naturally has this ability to figure (laughs) things out. It's a very, very smart kitty, as I think all kitties are. It's when they're able to slow down enough to figure out their options, they're able to receive this aid from Crookshanks and then able to then cross under the roots of the whomping willow safely to follow their friend Ron to try to find him and help him. Harry and Hermione find a tunnel at the base of the Whomping Willow and follow it all the way to the Shrieking Shack. Once they're there, they find Ron, who tells them that the dog isn't a dog. It's actually Sirius Black. And at this point, Ron's arm has been pummeled and completely chewed and gnawed by what we thought was a dog. And his leg is broken. Yeah. And so poor guy, he can barely stand He's in a lot of pain. He's paling. He's terrified. And he also realizes that the dog is Sirius Black. And Sirius Black is an animagus. And an animagus is a magical person that can turn themselves willingly into an animal. Ah! Ron! Uh, Ron! You're okay! The dog! Where is Harry? It's a trap! He's a dog! He's an animagus! The idea of the animagus got me thinking about how some humans transform themselves to adapt to different situations, whether it's changing our appearances to fit in or for protection or for fun, like cosplaying. How can altering ourselves be a source of power? You know, it's such a great question for a lot of people, especially for women, but this could be true for men and non-binary individuals and other individuals. Sometimes, for example, after something traumatic happens, we might alter our appearance as a source of empowerment. So, for example, after I went through sexual assault, I cut my hair, I got it dyed, I got a new wardrobe. And for me, it wasn't just retail therapy. It was a sense of empowerment. It was a new look that allowed me to feel more in control. And a lot of individuals, when they go through something traumatic, do benefit from changing their appearance, for example, or from changing something else about their life to feel like they have control over something. 
with cosplay, as you brought up, a lot of times individuals feel a sense of identity when they're cosplaying. And so, for example, for individuals whose gender identity is not the same as their biological sex, but individuals who might not yet have been able to or felt ready to come out about their gender identity, cosplaying in a way that's consistent within their gender identity, for example, might be a sense of self-empowerment, right? Might be something that would allow them to find that sense of connection with who they really are. For other people, cosplaying might be empowering in terms of allowing them to be connected with a certain aspect of a character. For example, I have a number of clients that really like villainous characters. It could be anyone from like Voldemort from Harry Potter, for example, or if any of you are familiar with the animated TV series Avatar The Last Airbender, there is a character there, Azula, who is a really badass princess who is just uh, evil and does whatever she wants, but she's also really, really powerful. So I have a lot of clients who might cosplay as certain villainous characters, not because they want to do the kind of evil and hurtful things that these villains do, but because they might feel a sense of empowerment from dressing up like them in terms of kind of not caring what other people think. And so, for instance, people with social anxiety might often be so nervous about being judged or, or fearing social rejection that when they put on a cosplay that represents a certain villainous character, they might no longer be as afraid about social rejection and in playing the part of that character might be more outgoing, more social, more willing to talk to other cosplayers and make new friends. And so I think for a lot of people, there is a sense of freedom in cosplaying. And as we know too, playfulness in general can bring up this really fun part of ourselves that can allow us to come out of our shell a little bit, take ourselves a little bit less seriously and connect with members of our community. Yeah. I mean, that's all wonderful stuff. And with your permission, I would like to expand a little bit on the sexual assault situation. I remember I was listening to a conference or a workshop and this woman was explaining about her sexual assault and how she altered her appearance as well. She wanted to gain more weight to look less attractive to men because she was scared. That's just devastating to me to hear. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, that's true. That for some survivors, sometimes the altering of their appearance might be less of a sense of self-empowerment and more a sense of safety seeking. And for some individuals, knowingly or unknowingly, they might go through certain physical changes. Also, when our body is in a lot of stress, we might rapidly gain or lose weight. A lot of individuals who rapidly gain weight either blame themselves, shame themselves, or are shamed by their family members or friends. And I think a number of us have gone through that. I've gone through that too, where after a traumatic experience, I gained 30 pounds in one month and received a lot of criticism from my family and was fat shamed for it. And I think that for a lot of individuals, 
our bodies respond differently. We're so flooded with stress hormones that processing food is the last thing on our body's mind, right? When we are in fight or flight mode, we're not able to rest and digest. These are opposite systems. They don't typically function at the same time, not in their extremes anyway. So when we are at our highest emotional distress, it is very hard for our body to self-regulate and to process. Some individuals, some trauma survivors will, for example, shave their head to attract less attention to potential perpetrators, for example. And so it's true. I'm really glad you brought up the other side of changing people's looks and identities. And of course, it's devastating. I think that a lot of times, purposely changing our appearance after a traumatic experience is a way to create control where otherwise we don't feel in control one way or another. And I think that for a lot of people, doing something feels better than doing nothing. Yeah, it's just amazing to me and yeah. devastating, and really. It, it absolutely is. And what I wanted to put out there is that if you are a trauma survivor and you have found yourself, for example, gaining weight. First of all, there's nothing wrong with gaining weight. Unfortunately, we live in a fat shaming society and I'm hoping to change that. And second of all, if your body is going through these changes, it is not your fault. It is your body trying to keep itself safe and to focus on survivor mode. You are a freaking superhero and a dragon slayer in just everything you've gone through and all the monsters that you face in every given day. And by monsters, I mean memories and flashbacks and everything that you're probably dealing with on a regular basis. If anyone out there is fat shaming you, it's because they don't know the half of what you've been through and the half of what your body is fighting on a regular basis and the kind of armor it's trying to create to protect you. So please, please don't shame yourself for what your body's going through. Whatever changes your body's going through, it's your body trying to keep you safe. And please focus on taking care of yourself in terms of maybe getting support from either supportive community, maybe trauma survivors support group or a mental health professional. And please focus on self-compassion first before anything else. Most definitely. Thank you so much for all that. Speaking of change, when Harry finds out that the dog is serious and Sirius is there, Harry just snaps. All the bad he's heard about Black this year hits him all at once, and he's out for blood. He wants to attack. He wants to kill Sirius Black. To kill Harry, you'll have to kill us too. No, only one would die tonight. Then it'll be you! Ah! <laughs> Are you going to kill me, Harry? And at this point, he doesn't even have his wand because Sirius does an Expelliarmus spell, right, and takes Harry's yeah. wand away. But even though Harry's only 13 years old, and this is a grown man, Harry does end up getting the best of Sirius Black and is just prepared to unleash all the pain he's been bottling up. He really wants vengeance for his parents' deaths. Besides the personal justice aspect of this situation, what is it about pain that can cause even the kindest of people to lash out and do things against their character? Mm, great question. 
I think when we experience pain, we look for some kind of way to soothe it. And when our body goes into that fight or flight mode, when we are in pain already, we might act impulsively. For some people, when they're in physical pain, for example, they might punch a wall, which will only add to their physical pain. But at the same time, for some individuals might provide almost a temporary relief because we might feel once again as if we're in somewhat of a control in a situation where we're not in control. For somebody who has survived trauma like Harry, for somebody that lost his parents, you know, at a very young age, doing something where he's able to not only avenge what happened to them, but also to take action in his opinion at that point and like in that impulsive action, do something about his pain makes us believe that our pain will go away. And that's why a lot of people might seek vengeance, believing that their pain will stop after they have done something to avenge themselves or to avenge somebody else. Unfortunately, vengeance doesn't end up making people feel better. That's not how it works. But it's also understandable that in Harry's case, coming face to face with the person he believes to be his parents' killer will have unleashed all of these feelings, all of this anger, all of this frustration that he has bottled up for 12 years and for the first time in his life now has an opportunity to unleash all in essentially one second. Yeah. I mean, I don't blame him or anything, <laughs> to be honest. Just thought that was an interesting question. Right at the last moment, Lupin breaks in and starts to actually help Sirius out. Well, well, Sirius, looking rather ragged, aren't we? Finally, the flesh reflects the madness within. Well, you'd know all about the madness within, wouldn't you, Remus? I found him. I found Let's kill him. No! And it looks like he's been aiding him the whole time, letting him into the castle. And, and of course, the kids are furious. Yeah, this devastates Harry, but it especially devastates Hermione. She knew his secret and kept it in confidence. Much like Harry, Hermione lashes out at Lupin's apparent betrayal and tells everyone that he is, in fact, a werewolf. I trusted you! And all this time, you've been his friend. He's a werewolf! That's why he's been missing classes. Her action right here is out of spite and out of hurt. But it's more than that because he was a professor they actually all respected and valued. Man, just how does seeing a hero or a mentor in a light such as this affect trust and confidence in others? Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up. So often when we look up to certain individuals, we might believe them to be perfect and absolute. And sometimes when we learn that there might be something hypocritical that they do, that might be so devastating because we might believe that we can't trust anybody. In the situation of Harry, Ron, and Hermione, I think they strongly believed that he was one of the only really good teachers at mm -hmm. Hogwarts. Well, he was. <laughs> for for Harry especially, Lupin was the first person that knew his parents and taught him the Patronus charm, right? The anti-dementor spell and the ridiculous charm, the anti-Boggard spell, and really coached him and had become, in a lot of ways, his father figure. And so 
for all three of the kids, I imagine this was really, really devastating. When we really look up to somebody like a parent, for example, or a teacher or mentor, and they let us down, it is more than a disappointment. It can feel like a betrayal. It can feel like a heartbreak. And that's why when we're let down by somebody that should be there, again, like by a parent or a teacher, for example, we might feel the kind of hurt that can really linger forever. There are certain ways that my parents had let me down and when when I was a child that still hurt me to this day. And I imagine a lot of us can relate to that. And so for Harry especially, who hadn't really had supportive parental figures because his parents were killed when he was one, he grew up with very abusive relatives. This is absolutely devastating. I know you also mentioned Harry and Hermione's reactions, but one person whose reaction we didn't talk about was Ron. Mm -hmm. And when Sirius first charged for Harry and said that there's only going to be one person that dies tonight, of course, everyone assumed that one person would be Harry. If you want to kill Harry, you'll have to kill us too. No, only one would die tonight. Then it'll be you! Ah! Ron with his broken leg, with his mauled arm, who's at this point falling over on the old dilapidated bed <laughs> that's in the shrieking shack, says, you'll have to go through me first. Yeah. And I just thought that was so brave. A lot of times Ron doesn't get the kind of credit that he deserves, but he's extremely, extremely brave. He clearly belongs in Gryffindor. And even as he's almost passing out from the horrific pain that he's in, he's still willing to protect his friend, even with his life. I love that about Ron. He is a very special character and a very special friend. And again, that's a very awesome example of loyalty, friendship, and bravery. I love it. He definitely is a Gryffindor. So at this point, we're finding out so much of these mysteries, right? <laughs> and... Lupin actually goes in to tell the kids that he's one of the makers of the Marauders map and he saw on there a name and he thought it was malfunctioning because it was so strange to see this name on there. And we actually find out that Sirius is not guilty. He's actually innocent of these crimes that people say he was committing and he's not really after Harry or Ron. He's after another Animagus that is in the room with them. And this Animagus is Scabbers. And Scabbers is Peter Pettigrew, the friend that supposedly was killed by Sirius back in the day. So that's where we're gonna go ahead and end this because that's where the chapter ends. Again, my name is Dustin McGinnis. You can find me on Twitter at The Valiant Geek. I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. You can find me on Twitter at Shadow Quill or Dr. Janina Scarlett Official on Instagram. For all of our listeners out there, we are sending out free signed copies of Dr. Scarlett's book, Harry Potter Therapy, an unauthorized self-help book from the restricted section. To enter the drawing, all you have to do is tweet about this podcast with the hashtag Harry Potter Therapy. We will choose one lucky listener every month to receive their free copy. Unfortunately, due to high postage costs, international listeners will not be eligible for this promotion. Stay safe out there, everybody. Stay kind and take care. The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, prevention, diagnosis, counseling, treatment, or other services. 
always consult a mental health professional before engaging in any activities discussed in this podcast. Thank you for listening.